Well, good morning. Welcome to everyone to the uh, August the 13th edition of the Ag Market Network, our monthly cotton teleconference. I'm Pat McClatchy. We want to first off recognize and thank our sponsors, FiberMax, Stoneville Seed. Uh, our lead speaker today will be Dr. O.A. Cleveland, and he'll be joining our cotton panel. Also, we'll have a special guest. Brad Heffington will join us to talk about crop conditions and also his thoughts on prices. He is a farmer from Littlefield, Texas, a past winner of the Cotton Market of the Year Award. So let's start off with O.A. O.A. says he can explain what happened Friday, so thanks for doing that, O.A. Well, thank you, and I don't know how much explanation I can give. I can certainly talk about it, and thank you, and good morning to all. Uh, well, in USDA's words, this uh, this month, sticking with the United States situation with just uh, higher beginning stocks, uh, higher production, increase in exports, and an increase in ending stocks, some of that's bullish, some of that's bearish. All in a nutshell, it turns out to be bearish. So what we saw there was a crop that USDA surmised to be a million bales higher in their first objective field survey as compared to the objective report that they had last month of 18.5 million bales. They raised it based on their their field survey to 19.5 million bales. That surprised most traders, certainly not all. Uh, Just the the news was replant with information that have uh, the problems with Texas crop, and as a consequence, was going to bring down the U.S. crop given the large acreage. Uh, but still, with USDA showing abandonment of 3 million bales in Texas, they raised the crop, as I said, a million bales. And, you know, they gave us a good edu- education, whether it be USDA, whether it be the seed uh, itself or the seed companies. But we had such outstanding yields last year, and the crop kept getting bigger and bigger despite the inclement weather that had gone through along the coastal bend and throughout South Texas. Uh, so I think it tells us that the seed companies have given us a variety now that's, or several, numerous, obviously, numerous varieties now that the gen- genetics have uh, certainly reached a plateau, a new plateau or climbing even higher than its current plateau that it's reached. And this crop just continues to put on fruit and, and holds the fruit. Uh, we'll, certainly it's a long time till we get bagging ties around anything so the crop can uh, change significantly uh, as of yet. But right now, they gave us a million extra bales, but also, somewhat surprisingly, they gave us another uh, an increase in, in beginning stocks that uh, jumped it uh, uh, from, uh, uh, well, all of a sudden, losing my spot here in my thought process, but where they increased ending stocks, they did that by lowering exports exports to by uh, some 400,000 bales to from 16.2 down to 15.85 million bales. The uh, export figures, by, by dropping exports from 16.2 to 15.85, they used a, a factor there in converting from uh, running bales to statistical bales of uh, apparently a bit lower than they have in, in the last time periods. Uh, I think we're still going to see exports jump up as high as 16 
million bells when they get through massaging the raw data, but that's not neither here nor there. In that situation, it's just I think we'll have a six in front of it. But instead of a 3.9, 4.0 beginning stock situation, they jumped it up to, what, 4.2 million bales, I believe. Uh, uh, And that was a bit of a surprise to us. Uh, I'm going to have to be careful as I look at my notes and just wing it as I typically do because I see the notes I brought are last month's notes. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the I will say that what they have done that allows for some optimism is that the uh, foreign uh, importers, the, the, the net importers, stocks in those countries have gone down now for the third consecutive year. Uh, that associated with the fact that stocks, uh, ending stocks in total, they did lower world ending stocks, and that's a, uh, that, 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 that gives the bulls something that they can sink their teeth in. Uh, and the world carryover was lowered about 700,000 males. So uh, that's the number, two that the, that the bulls can keep their teeth uh, sinking in a little bit further and further. Um, the again, the market did surprise everyone. I think what we saw in uh, the market being down only 200 points would tell us, or tells me, that this market's a bit stronger than than, than what you would normally see in a crop report that would be so negative. Uh, certainly, I think mills have stepped in from what we could tell. Friday afternoon, mills have stepped in and are doing some pricing, but at the same time, uh, has been made clear by many people, mills are absolutely not chasing this market, uh, and as they have in the past, as they had earlier in the year, they're want, wanting to see that this crop materializes somewhat before they start going after it. So, uh, I think probably with that, there were no major changes in China, no major changes in India. Uh, all things, uh, they did uh, uh, lower the Indian stocks just marginally by about 300,000 bales, uh, which uh, you know we've been looking for a three million or better adjustment in Indian stocks, and they gave us only 300,000 bales, so uh, just a marginal or insignificant change in the Indian crop. Uh, but world stocks being down 700,000 bales, despite the fact that U.S. stocks uh, have been increased, uh, uh, is is still a, a, an optimistic forecast. So you guys take off and put some real meat on these bones that I laid out there, please. All right. Any comments? Um, I'll chime in. Um, this I'm just reinforcing what O.A. said about improvements in genetics and how that is a continual surprise to analysts in tough years. I'm thinking back to probably about 06, which I think was a dry year. And it was one of those situations where, you know, we have lousy crop condition ratings all summer, and then we get a unbelievably high August report or September report, I can't remember which one, but we were, I remember discounting it, disbelieving it. I remember remarking, I think, to you, Pat, that, you know, I, I don't understand how USDA could think there's so much cotton out there. And I remember Pat saying something along the lines of, well, somebody's wrong. Somebody's wrong. But it, it just, it, and it turns out 
we were wrong and USDA was right, and they're not always right, and it's, they're going to revise their number. I always said that too. I mean, they they get new information, new con- bad conditions happen, whatever. They'll they'll adjust it, but we are continually surprised. This goes back to Thomas Malthus. We are continually surprised by how improved technology changes the picture, and this may be an example of that. Just to chime in a little bit on that, I agree that uh, the technology is terribly important, but Mother Nature is important too. If we look back, uh, if we get rains in August, September, early October, we tend to get better crops in uh, in West Texas, and I, I think we got better rains last year. Sometimes we get influenced, we being the analysts, uh, myself included, get influenced by the most recent data. I don't know that USDA was overly uh, misled by the great year uh, yields we've had. But if we don't get the rains late during the year, they're certainly going to modify, and chances are they'll modify those down. I don't know what the weather's going to do out there. Uh, we've gotten better rains recently, which is I think I've been out of the office for a little over a week now but uh, and haven't had access to Internet for part of that period, so I, I'm not sure about the weather, but I, I think it's improved modestly which would support their argument that we've got better yields in West Texas, certainly than we thought uh, a month or so ago. Gerald, any thoughts? Well, um, you know, it's just uh, despite reports really around the world of of nervousness with the the, the Northern Hemisphere, various, uh, you know, crops, China, Central Asia, <clears throat> you name it. Um, you know, USDA is estimating world yields at the fourth highest ever. So, I guess that that uh, the newer genetics is taking place all over the world. Um, it's it's really quite a, quite amazing. And uh, you know, even India is not that, that horrible when you compare it to uh, to what it could be, um, con- considering. Uh, you know they're not using the newer genetics this year, and yet uh, their uh, their yields are, I think, like the sixth or seventh highest ever, uh, estimating to be, and and even higher than than last year. So uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see how this year finally plays out. All right. Well, let, let's let uh, our special guest today, Brad Heffington, give us some of his thoughts. Uh, Brad, thanks for being with us uh, and talking about West Texas crop conditions, weather. Uh, did did your area get rains here in recent days? Well, I'll, let me give you an update. Uh, I'd like first thank you for asking me to be on here. Uh, a lot of times growers wish they could talk on things like this and uh, kind of express, you know, what we were really seeing in the field. Uh, I'm going to give you a West Texas crop date. I, I can't speak for the southeast or any of those areas where the yields evidently are phenomenal and what USDA is looking at. But uh, my particular farm, we got seven tenths of an inch of rain over four days during this last period when we had rain chances 50 to 60 percent. I've had that gets me to 3.4 inches of rain since, since September of last year. And uh, out of this rain event that was really touted. There's 103 mesonet stations in the cotton producing areas here in West Texas, Oklahoma, Eastern New Mexico. 
61 of those stations got less than received less than one half of an inch. 33 of those stations had zero to, to a quarter of an inch. 19 stations had a half inch to three quarters. 15 stations had three quarters to an inch and a half. There were seven stations that had it from an inch and a half to three inches, and then one station that had four inches, which was down at Wall in San Angelo. Those seven stations that had the inch and a half to three inches were predominantly in the area south of Leveland toward Seminole, La Mesa, uh, big spring area where there's already great abandonment. I know in our personal farming operation, my son lost 93% of his cotton acres earlier in the year when we had a rain to plant grain, sorghum, milo, uh, hay grazer, any type of cover. We just had no precipitation. He ended up getting about two to three inches on all of his dry land farms and all of our irrigated land north of Littlefield. As I say, we got seven tenths to an inch on some of it. Uh, there were some spotty showers around, but I think, as you can see from the Mesonet reported, you know, there was only 6% of the stations in the area that had a significant rainfall of an inch and a half or more. Um, as we went into last week, the, the latest drought map, and I, I put this on Twitter and away retweeted it, but uh, I was glad at least he reads my stuff because I read his. But anyway, we were looking at uh, the whole entire South Plains and Rolling Plains was either listed in severe drought or extreme drought. And I had an old-timer tell me, it don't make a tinker's dam whether I'm in severe or extreme. It's still the same. And so I think as you entered into their heavy bloom period, uh, that was a terrible, terrible condition for our crop to be entering that stage with that uh, severe stress upon it. Uh, I'm not saying we're not going to make some cotton here, but the irrigated cotton is hurting too. Uh, there's a lot of cotton that's had to be... People have had to make decisions to cut their irrigated acreage down. They've abandoned part of their circles especially. Uh, they've gone back to half circles, even third circles, some places quarter circles, and I've got the same situation in my operation. One thing that's very disappointing on these acres that are left, there's not very, a whole lot of the drip irrigated acres that survived without a planting rain. Uh, so in my personal operation, I've got 1,000 acres of drip irrigated cotton. I've got 55 acres of it up. Um, that's going to impact yields, I, I feel, significantly towards the end of our production season. This year is similar to 1990. In 2011, uh, 2011, I got 2.9 inch, inches of rain. Uh, we had a lot hotter June, which hurt things. But the main difference being our irrigation supplies now are not near as plentiful as they were, sure, in 1990 or 2011. 1990, I finally got a rain on July 27th to get our cotton up on places where we didn't get a plant in rain. This year, we got a rain on July 26th. Uh, but I'm not sure it's even going to germinate the seed that was left in the ground. Uh, many of the irrigated fields in my area, and especially to the south, raised the white flag 10, to 10 days ago, and producers are shutting irrigation off because it's done. Many producers now are waiting for bowl count period to see what they have and see what's uh, available for adjustments. Uh, spotty showers have helped some fields, but many fields entered the peak bloom, in, like I say, in severe stress. Um, I'm a little worried about, on my own crop, uh, you can see low mic and high mic cotton. Uh, a lot of people don't think about low mic cotton on a year when it's this short of rainfall, but what happens is the plant holds some of those bowls, it runs out of moisture in time to fill them, and then they'll pull back, and they'll kind of have spongy bowls at the top. And I'm, we used to see that a whole lot when it irrigated cotton uh, quality on the staple is also a little concerning to me just with the conditions we have. 
because the cotton plant makes this staple it elongates first and then thickens up to produce the micron air and we had very dry conditions during that, that development process. That being said, Texas still go make some cotton, but there's uh, the thing that puzzles me about this USDA report. I don't know how they do it in the rest of the country, but the numerators, they don't even go to the field until August in Texas. Uh, I mean, I've got two or three farms that are in those categories, and I got a call from the, the numerator last week saying, we'll be looking at your fields over the next two weeks to, to do bowl counts and stuff. So I don't know where they get these numbers from when the numerators haven't even been out in the fields where they can raise the cotton. If we do look at the report, uh, shows Texas to have 4.3 million acres of harvestable cotton, the projected yield of 726 pounds, that's six and a half million bales. Uh, the U.S. crop was, the upland cotton crop was projected at 18.5 million bales, that's down 9% from 2017, and the harvested acres are down 9.9, uh, down 9%. Uh, in zone 11 in Texas, that's the northern zone, they project the production to 916 pounds per acre. Zone 12, which is the bulk of the area from uh, probably Plainview North, it's 723 pounds. One interesting thing to note there is uh, that's 27 pounds more than last year. We had timely rains last year that helped our crop, you know, be really good, and we haven't had those this year. And that, that's like I say, these numbers to me are very subjective because of the way USDA does the process out here. I mean, maybe in the southeast and the south, they've already done gone to the fields and done bowl counts. Uh, that leaves a projected crop production of 2,185 2, bales in the center part of the South Plains uh, off of 145,000, 1,450,000 acres. Uh, zone 21, 22 down the Rolling Plains, um, their projected yields are 486 pounds to 343 pounds. So uh, I don't believe those are real far off, but there's only half a million, five to 600,000 acres there in that area. In the crop report, uh, the world ending stocks were cut 700. 40,000 bales, and I've, I believe ultimately the Texas crop is overstated. Uh, we'll see what this technology, I mean, I'm growing it, but when you don't get any rain, it, it doesn't matter what kind of technology you have. Uh, and I'm not trying to be a super bear because we do have some cotton, but a lot of these fields that uh, bloomed out the top 10 days ago, the, the bowl size is going to be smaller, the turnouts aren't going to be as high, and I just think there's a whole lot of acres out there like that compared to the ones that were doing really good. And so if you looked at the mesonet, everyone was hoping for that big rain this weekend to help finish this crop out and at least fill out the bowls that we've set, and that didn't materialize in very many places. But there were some pockets of rain, but ultimately I think this crop could be adjusted back down just from Texas, you know, to 400 to 600,000 bales, um, kind of depending on what happens from here out. It, could be more than that, could be less than that, and like Dr. Robinson said a while ago, I don't know who's going to be wrong here, but I know in our area, when you went into peak bloom with the drought map, the way it looked, I'm living it, I'm growing stuff in it, and it's been very difficult. Uh, if you factor in on the world production, you know, that gets it down to 77-something million bales, and if they cut the Indian crop, you know, two to three million bales, like I've heard y'all discussing, you know, it gets world ending stocks down to 75 million bales. I do think that we'll ship pretty much every bale we can sell. That's what happened this last year. Uh, I had a portion of my cotton on call 
that wasn't delivered, and, and my buyer called begging to get a hold of it so they could at least ship it, and they advanced me a certain portion of the crop, and then end up fixing the price a couple months later. But uh, uh, we're also looking at, I believe last week you'd already sold 8.5 million bales of new crop cotton, which was a record for this time of year. So demand's there, and it's a real thing, and I hope that keeps up. And I think if you saw the results of this crop forecast and what the market did Friday, you know, things were down all across the board. It was a bearish day for everything. But I think if you look at the demand side and the supply side on the cotton sheet, especially on the world side, uh, I still consider that to be pretty bullish, especially if you make adjustments to India crop and even if they don't adjust our crop a whole lot more, the world any stocks are still coming down. All right. Do we have any questions for Brad? This is Kip. I don't right. have any questions. I just wanted to thank uh, Brad very much for that information. I, I appreciate that. I. I love to hear information about uh, from folks on the ground, so to speak, have their their, their boots on the ground. Uh, you echoed a lot of things our office were hearing at least before I left the uh, week before last, and so I, at least for what it's worth, I sort of agree with you. Unless we get some kind of really impressive rains, widespread, we probably overstated this crop just a little, at least a little bit in West Texas, and that's sort of what I was alluding to earlier. These late season rains are terribly important to yield, and unless we get them, uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think we're going to pull off at least a little bit on this yield in West Texas. Well, and the most important thing about it is that is the timely rain when it's just dry, and unfortunately, a lot of that, a lot of the cotton here has already missed that window. Uh, there may be some higher yielding good irrigated areas that could still take a big advantage of a of a good rain. I mean, we'll never turn down rain. We've got to get some rain before we're even going to have a crop next year. I mean, I'm I'm getting into that mode, and, and it's like the other day. I said, hell, I'm just happy if I can get a dew now. I mean, we finally got a dew yesterday morning that was on the grass, and this morning we have one that's on my windshield. So, I mean, I just can't tell you how dry it's been, and people, I just don't think people understand how dry it's been out here. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of commentary, you know, on Twitter, oh, you know, there's rain everywhere, and I, what I'm experiencing is what I've been calling it phantom rain. I mean, radar will go right over you, and you better get a sprinkle. I mean, it's just unreal, and, and we use uh, some apps that, uh, you know, estimate rainfall, and it'll show we got eight-tenths of an inch and drive over to a place and we got a tenth of an inch. Uh, I don't know if that's because it's so dry, it, it's not registering right because of the soil conditions or what, but it's it's been really frustrating to watch all this. That's why I, the other day and I was trying to keep positive and just say, well, I'm going to quit watching Chances Rain just hope we get a chance for a do because we've had like four of them this year. I mean, it's just uh, it's just been very difficult. And, uh, you know, I've never seen this many fallow acres. I've, I've been farming out here 30 years, and I've never seen this much bare ground just with no crop on it. I mean, because people didn't get a rain to plant a secondary crop, a catch crop is what we used to call it, uh, or what we do call it, because uh, it's pretty hard to make a living on crop insurance and usually have to plant some kind of catch crop to bridge the difference between getting paid, you know, 55, 60% of your yield and trying to get through the year. But uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, if someone else could explain to me how USDA does 
field enumeration in Texas, uh, I would like to know because, like I say, I'm on that deal and they haven't looked at my fields yet, so I don't know how they do it. My understanding is that they they do go out in the field and in August and sample you know sample squares and bowls, but I've every, every year I have the question in my mind: Okay, how much? You know, they're taking that data, I assume, plugging it into some formula. But does that formula account for the calendar? Because sometimes it's very early, very late. And does that formula you mentioned bowl size? Does it account for all that stuff? Because they're all inf- going to influence. Uh, yield potential when it's all said and done. Yes, and I and I just can't see how, like I say, my, my person hasn't even been in the field. They're going into the field. So how did they have this data for this report to raise our yields? I mean, I uh, guess I'm I'm just really shocked that our yield is, is projected to be higher this year than last year uh, in my area. And uh, just don't know how they came up with that. I can only I'm assuming that has to do with their figuring abandoned you know, more abandoned dry land and the resulting yeah. yields are irrigated influenced, but but then yeah, you know, as you mentioned, you know, irrigated's under stress too, so uh, I don't know. I'm I'm I don't know what to make of if if they haven't been in your field sampling, then I I don't understand I don't understand that. No. Well we have this process every year and I, to me it doesn't really reflect actively or accurately what the crop is until September. And then, then you're still trying to fill the crop out what's left and right. all those other right. things you just mentioned actually come into effect in September. So right. I don't know. They're, I well they're I think that's a perennial that's Yeah, well that's a that's what you that's a perennial aspect of because the West Texas crop is generally less mature than other parts of the country. Um, so they go out in August and they they'll count squares and bowls. Well, then they go out in September, I think, to the same spots, and yeah, and the September report can either confirm or contradict what they did, what they saw, what they thought they saw in August. And so it, what I'm saying is, it's set, there's usually a setup for a potential surprise when the September report comes, a contradiction and, and a market shock. So. That's something to watch for. You know, we're, there's still some surprises, I believe, left in uh, on the production side that'll influence uh, uh, some market movements. Oh, I just wondered if actually we're out in the fields in the southeast and Delta and you know South Texas or something. I mean, you know, South Texas got cotton coming off, so they know what's coming there. But I mean, yeah. I don't know how they make the projection when they haven't been in the fields. You know, <clears throat> this report was released, so. Well, they do go through out in the fields in the southeast and the mid-south. And the only way I would have personal, actual knowledge of that is I went through their little school. They allowed me to do that a number of years ago and uh, went out in the fields and uh, not in their actual counting, but in their training. Uh, and they actually, you know, did, did the random sample. And, and all of that good statistical stuff and uh, marked off a space, measured, counted fruit. Uh, in some cases, some plants were counted. And I recall suggesting that in Texas probably 30 years ago. And uh, the, uh, the Texas NAS uh, took offense to that, saying they didn't count plants in Texas. But I have every bit of confidence in the world in the, in the Mid-South and Southeast. And, and I guess would say just carryover I've had confidence in in, in Texas but you're right uh, we get some I think the statistical variation John between uh, uh, 
between areas is greater for Texas from August to September and August to October than in the Mid-South. And I think because of what you're saying, it's just the timing of the crop. but I, 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 well, I know when remember. they do my fields, they strip every bowl, every they, they mark off a spot. I mean, when they do it, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with their science when they do it. Yeah. I've been there and they've showed me how they do it. They just hadn't done it yet. <laughs> so I don't know how they've come up mm-hmm. with these numbers. It's supposed to be spilled, you know, out in the field to get numbers. That's why I just wondered if maybe in other yeah. areas they went out towards the end of July and actually had those counts because I know they don't have them for my fields that are on the on the checklist. Mm-hmm. It's just it's always just kind of puzzled me how we have that production report in August when they hadn't even looked at it out here, but maybe yeah. they do in other parts of the belt, you know. Well, that's a you're in district. You, you're in district twelve, uh, Brad. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and they only have yields down one point three percent from last year. It's actually uh, twenty-seven pounds higher than last year. For District 12, or what I was looking at on the Texas NAS report. Um, oh, yeah, they have 696 for last year and 723 for this year. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the first thing that jumped out at me, and I went, wow, that's uh, kind of surprising. But with the conditions we have. And last year, we had some really timely rains in August before the cotton bloomed out the top that, that really pushed our crop and made it be pretty good, and, and we didn't get that this year. Like I say, a lot of this, even the rain that came this week came to a lot of areas too late. But uh, I'm not saying it didn't help quite a few places with, where they've got good irrigated, but good irrigated anymore is a lot different than what we call good irrigated, you know, 1990 and 2010 or 11. Yeah. Which is the other moving, you know, I talked about the moving target of improving technology, but what you're saying with the Ogallala is is the same thing in reverse. It's, you know, kind of a long-term dynamic oh, yeah. thing and over and time. I think the technology has helped us. Uh, these varieties, uh, if we were growing the varieties we were back then, we would have a lot worse crop than we do now. I do, I do think the technology has greatly increased. And then, you know, the only area in Texas that wasn't in the drought was in the very northern panhandle where they still have they think they're running out of water, but they got enough water to ruin cotton. I've given several talks over there in that part of the country. It said, you may think you're out of water, but you're talking corn. You've got enough water to ruin cotton here, you know, especially as far north as they are, you know, if they over-irrigate. Over but, you know, there is some really good cotton up in that area, but it's not a whole lot of acres compared to, you know, the southern part of 11 and all of 12. But that's well, just one thing. But let's go around and kind of get everybody's thought on price now that we've had this new report. John, let's start with you, and you give us your projections on low and high for December cotton. I think last month I said 78 to 98, and I think we're still in that range. And I think there's influences that could take the market and probably will take it a little higher, at least one more run. And I think the downside, I would I would just stick with that. All right, 78, yep. 98. Well, I've been... Uh, <clears throat> I've been thinking the range is going to be just a little over uh, 100 points uh, uh, for the highs. Uh, I still think that's maybe not likely, but possible at this point. Uh, I do not have extreme confidence in the USDA's uh, production report at this time, and it's not that they don't do good work. It's just too early to make these kind of assessments and feel you know that they're carved in stone. So. 
I'm feeling that the U.S. crop is probably going to show a decline. I think that we're going to see a bit of a decline in some of the supply outside the U.S. I don't see any real change as we speak in the demand for <coughs> excuse me in the demand for cotton worldwide. So, so I'm a little bit uh, a little more bulled up, maybe, or leaning to the to the upside for these prices. I think the lows could go into the uh, to the high, possibly the mid 70s, but I think it's more likely in the in the high 70s as far as the the lows, at least for the next couple of months or so. So my right. like high 70s to round the dollar. All right, Gerald. Oh gosh, um, the uh, for for whatever reason, even though we've got uh, you know 127 million plus bales estimated for for consumption this year, uh, the mill buyers don't seem to be in a real big hurry to buy cotton right now. Um, the uh, it, so that's that's a little bit of a of a conundrum out there where. Uh, um, well, supposedly we got all this demand, and yet, you know, it's very difficult to to, to sell cotton. Well, you can sell cotton. It just it, everything's got a price, though, and the price that you can sell cotton right now isn't uh, isn't keeping pace with where futures are. So I, I think we've got to go a little bit lower to, to sell cotton if you want to want a decent basis out there. Um, the uh, so I don't know. Um, Seventy-eight, seventy-nine cents, maybe on the on the downside. Um, you know, eighty, eighty-eight to ninety cents on the upside. So roughly about what uh, what John was talking about earlier, probably a ten cent range for for now until we get another another potential surprise in, in September. Okay, OA. Well, great, Pat. Thank you. I'm glad I had the opportunity to go to school on the other guys. I'm still a little bit more optimistic uh, uh, within the range anyway. I, I still think uh, or would say that uh, the 90 cents is a possibility. I was a little bit higher earlier, uh, but uh, it's a little bit difficult now to do that with uh, with, uh, with what with the U.S. crop size being what it may be. Uh, but nevertheless, we have to understand that the, the world situation is tightening, uh, and that's beneficial. Uh, we will see China have to come to the market and buy cotton, whether they're wanting to sit back right now or not. So still the 90-cent top area, and, and my bottom number is still until we can penetrate this 80, 82, 83, or whether it be 81-and-a-half up to 80, 83, until we can penetrate those lows and uh, close down there, I, I still think uh, I still think that low 80s are going to hold. So I, I'm going to stick with that. But it does make it more difficult to move this this uh, this price objective above 90 cents. But I don't think we should hang up uh, hang up on on the possibility of that happening because again we've got the uh, September, October, November, and December reports to come yet. So we've got a uh, got a lot of time. Thank you. Okay, uh, Brad. Since you're our guest today, we we let you go last. What are your price projections? Well, I'm trying to figure out how to get long March and take advantage of it. So I guess I got a little bias to the upside, but. With eight and a half million bales already sold for new crop cotton, I see the supplies getting tight. Um, any cut in our, our production, I think, will support that. Uh, you know, Gerald's 
selling cotton every day, but somebody's bought eight and a half million bales already. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm going to save from eighty-two to ninety-five, and and you know, as we always say, the the market usually goes farther than we think it should. But uh, I would think down in the eighty-two to eighty-four area, that'd be a gift for mills to start fixing some prices with the potential supply squeeze that we could have going into the spring, especially if the Indian crop is cut and. If you look at the major exporters in the world, that you know that leaves two or three of us, and somebody's going to be coming for some cotton, hopefully with the demand where it is. All right. Any any other thoughts before we wrap this up? Pat, if I may uh, direct a question, Gerald. Uh, Gerald, if I may, and it's uh, you've got the answer in front of you. I noticed since we've been talking, the market's been going down, down, down. So I'm going to attribute that to Kip <laughs> and John. Uh, where, where, where is Jack now? I'm a few minutes delayed on my price. Uh, uh, December's uh, 84.23 right now. Okay. The low. Searching for uh, lo- lower lows, yeah. <laughs> okay. The low's 84.17. So, okay. you know, we had we had some we had some lows in. Uh, Oh, middle of July, right around in here, a little bit higher, but uh, I guess we had, um, let's see what day was that, uh, 84.14 on July 9th, so it, and then and then you have to go all, the, then your next low would be uh, um, somewhere around 81.80, so 82 to 84 cents um, to, to support your view, OA, this thing sh- should hold in here if it's going to hold in here. Yeah, gotcha. I would should, you know. I but you know, I still think we can. You know, if we go down three hundred more points, we're still at eighty one plus. Uh, and you know, some people would say, well, that's within the range. So, uh, uh, and and seasonally, there there is a tendency to uh, to rally a little bit from the August report into the September report. Right. Well, I've got a comment here. I'm in unfamiliar territory. I can't remember a time where I've been a little bit more friendly to market than O.A. Cleveland. So I, um, <laughs> I got my head wrong. To go back to the drawing board and see what I've done. Somebody's wrong. That's it, exactly. Uh, and while we're talking, you know, my bullishness, we just made a new low for the day at 8.15. So I'm going to shut up and uh, let this thing quit going down. Well, we just have a lot of outside influences right now. That's probably got nothing to do with cotton, uh, particularly with the grains getting beat up. Uh, the dollar's actually off a little bit, so, but it had rallied. So if we can get some of these outside influences uh, um, going our way, then, uh, then you know, we should rally. I think the key here, and, and, and Gerald, you touched on it, I know I'm – I want to kind of revisit the idea of, of world consumption right now for cotton. We've seen it be very, very strong. We've got good export sales on the books. Point right now, the mills are kind of backing off or at least sort of uh, treading water, watching prices. But uh, is there any reason to think we should see any sort of a, a change in the demand for cotton over the next eight, ten months? Is there something out there that we might that I might be missing? To tell me it's not as good as uh, as it's been, or, or that we should see it fall off at all. <clears throat> well, you know, it seemed like for the longest time that the world economies had been growing, you know, in in sync, 
and now you're starting i you know it seems to be you're starting to get some some hiccups out there and that would be the only thing that would uh that would scare things off a little bit is if all of a sudden you know things started looking a little a little dicey on the uh, economic uh, world economic growth but uh you know the world bank still has pretty good numbers for for world growth so um well, the reason why I ask is that's kind of the key to my bullishness is I don't see much out there over this 8-10 month or so period to say we should see much of a drop in demand. If we, and I agree with you. If, if that falls off, that's, that's the main thing. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's wrap the meeting up. We want to first thank our sponsors, FiberMax. And Stonewall Seed, thanks to our cotton panel led by OA Cleveland. And also thanks to our special guest, Brad Heffington, for doing an excellent job of describing what's going on in West Texas. Thanks to you, our listeners. And that concludes this edition of the Ag Market Network. Thank you.